Hey guys, I'm Chelsea. And I'm Jessica. And this is The Hand That Feeds Us. We are basking in the darkness today. That is the sun. Um, the poor sun. He gets such a bad rap. Uh, you know, he's just up there doing his little thing, floating around in the sky. Uh, but I feel like more and more lately, I hear terrible things about the sun. Um, it's the end of the summer. Actually, it's November. So we're summer's over. Smack dab in fall. Well, I mean, it was here like two days ago. But yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, actually. Um, but days are getting darker. It's freezing outside here in Virginia. I don't know where it is everywhere else. Some places are getting snow now. And it just kind of made me miss the sun. And more and more in this space that we're in, this health and wellness world, am I hearing terrible things about the sun? So that led me this week to dive further and further into the sun. And specifically, thinking of your episode recently Mm -hmm. on seed oils, I wanted to start with one question that we could kind of, you know, think about a little bit. Are seed oils and or linoleic acid causing skin cancer? I have seen this claim everywhere where it's like seed oils, you know, they're out there. We're eating more of them. That's why we're all getting skin cancer. If you don't eat seed oils, you're not going to get skin cancer, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Um, Not anything I'd ever heard about until you really started talking about seed oils. And then I started noticing it more and I was like, what is that? How? Yeah, I saw this coming up when I was researching too. And I had put it on my list of things to deep dive into. So I'm glad you're you're deep diving for us. I do want to say, I think it's really cool that people are thinking that in depth, like obviously skin cancer has been on the rise. It's accelerated over the years, over the decades, um, specifically in the United States. And so I think it's really cool that people are like, okay, you know, we're already doing all these other things, but we really want to see if there's any other factors that we're missing that mm-hmm. could be impacting, you know, the acceleration of skin cancer for certain people. So I read many articles. Um, a lot of them you can kind of feel the direction that people are hoping it goes in. I think a lot of people want an answer. They want an easy, oh yes, it's causing skin cancer. Let's get rid of them and we'll all be fine. Um, But I really didn't find any articles that provided conclusive evidence to suggest that it is true. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I will say something really interesting that I found is that various studies that I read about suggested that there may be a ratio balance between the omega-3 and the omega-6 PFAS or the polyunsaturated fatty acids. If you guys don't really know what I'm talking about, definitely go back and listen to Jess's episode about seed oils. Um, she breaks a lot of these things down for us and explains linoleic acid. So this is PFUS. Yeah, this is PFUAs. UAs. Oh, okay. Not to be confused with or P- PFASs. <laughs> yeah, so these are all different. So PFAS, PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids. Um, you and I were just recently talking about... We were talking about PFAS earlier, per and polyfluoral alcohol. Yes, these are different. or something like that. So I'll try not to use the acronyms for the sake of our clarity because they yeah. were also confusing me and I had to keep reminding myself what mm-hmm. is what. And not everybody uses the same acronym. So anyway, um, basically what I found is that those omega-3s and omega-6s that we've been talking about. So omega-6 is like the linoleic acid group. Um, I have like an infographic on here. Omega-6s are like the soy oil, the corn oil, safflower, sunflower, and avocado oil, which I don't know why that's in there um, because that's considered also sometimes on the Mm omega-3s. And then the threes are like your wild fish, your salmon, trouts, um, other things like that. Um, It's actually suggesting that maybe we're kind of demonizing the linoleic acid part of it because we get so much of it in an Mm -hmm. American diet 
that it's not necessarily that it's bad. Actually, a little bit of it's good. We need a little bit of, of our threes, our sixes, and our nines. Um, but actually that the balance could be what's causing what they called oxidative stress. Um, so really interesting, something that they're still looking into. This is very like new age. I think it's great. People are thinking about that, but I would say hold fast to declare that seed oils are giving us skin cancer. So interesting (laughs) thought they're looking into it, but we're certainly nowhere near being able to draw causation. Yeah. I mean, we're (laughs) not there yet. We're trying, we're getting close, we're asking questions, which I think is great. I mean, that's what we love, you know, ask all the questions that you possibly can. But yeah, I mean, it basically just says that those individual polyunsaturated polyunsaturated fatty acids produce prostaglandins and leukotrienes that are, have distinct biological functions that can elicit either a pro or an anti-inflammatory um, response. And then they, they, so they can flame you or they can calm it down. Yes. But, Unclear. You, but you need both. No, they do both. They do both. Yes. Okay. Some can be inflammatory and some can be anti-inflammatory. But if you have, it's like, it's like kindling a fire, right? Like you need a certain amount of fire and a certain amount of spark to catch so that you have a healthy fire that burns for a long period of time and provides warmth. If it's too much, it will burn your house down. If it's not enough, you may or may not freeze. So it's kind of like there's this really beautiful process that's going on inside the body where it's constantly like we need a certain level of inflammation and then we need a certain level of anti-inflammation to help balance and counteract those processes. Okay. And the polyunsaturated fatty acids, mm-hmm. different ones do different things? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Okay. Basically. Um, so that's kind of where they're going. They're like, okay. We can't just say, oh, this does this. It's bad when we have something else that counteracts it. It's kind of like the sun in general, I guess. Like we can't just say, oh, this is all bad when Mm -hmm. it has a process to help itself. Um, And something that this same article brought up was that these same responses um, happen through several signaling pathways that regulate cell proliferation, apoptosis, and angiogenesis. And that's basically just our cells being like, I'm good, let me make more, or I'm bad, let me die, Um, you know, so um, to put it in like easier terms. Um, So really, really cool that they're looking into that. But basically, with all that said, I want to learn more about the sun. I'm so fascinated by this. I think it's been around longer than any of us. Mm -hmm. It's the reason we're here. I mean, it does so much for us, but also, yeah, it it can be a real problem. It can cause so many issues for so many different people, especially if you're really fair skinned. Um, And so, I don't know. I just wanted an answer. What do you do? And so, very pale. So I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So basically, I dove into the history of sunscreen. Just I'm just gonna give like flash spark notes on this. Um, Thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years humans and animals alike have been using various methods of natural sun protection. So like the ancient Egyptians would create different types of potions of like rice bran. Actually, that's still used today. It's like a really good UV blocker. Rice bran. Rice bran. Um, In Namibia, they use oat cheese, which is a blend (laughs) of butter, fat, and red. What is it? Ochre? I think it's ochre. Ochre. O-C-H-R-E. However one pronounces that. Yes. (laughs) And then the ancient Greeks used things like olive oil, which can span up to an SPF 8, which also coconut oil was mentioned a lot as an SPF 8. Which is Um, super interesting because I always thought slather oil on yourself and you're just going to roast. Yeah. But fats play such an important role in this, not just being ingested, but like on our skin, um, the actual like fatty lipid bio layers that the sun is, you know, being absorbed into or deflected on, um, really play a huge part in the health of our skin Mm -hmm. and whether, you know, cancer can be a major impact or whether we can fight off those free radicals. So 
Skin tones alone impact our predisposition to those burns and cancers. Those of lighter skin tones are obviously more at risk to develop burns. Um, and it says more at risk to develop cancers, but those with darker tones are more likely to develop more severe forms of cancer just because the skin. So protect- like late stage, basically. Yeah. It's not getting caught. Yeah. You find it so much later. And I think there's also a lot of misconceptions around, oh, well, I already have darker skin, so I don't need to do anything to care for it because um, you're not going to burn as much. You're not going to notice a burn as much. So but yeah, that increased melanin. Um, is a natural defense mechanism that counteracts the UVA rays, um, and it increases that metabolically by balancing our cell regeneration um, and processing and death to maintain homeostasis. So really, really cool. Our body is already like, okay, we know the sun's around, guys. Don't panic. We're doing our best. Um, But still, you know, we have the ability and the will to protect what we can control in relation to the sun, and I think that's really empowering and also not something to always be feared. So how do we do this wisely? Mm-hmm. The modern regulation of SVF popped up. 1938, a Swiss chemistry student named Franz Greiter um, got sunburned while he was hiking Mount Pisboon on the Swiss-Austrian border. Yeah, butchering all these names. Um, <laughs> basically, he got fried. He was up there, and he was like, whoa, this is too much. So plus, apparently, your sunburn can accelerate. This is not on here, but 90% reflection off of the snow you're at a 90 percent increased risk of developing sunburn when you're yeah i mean so snow guys like sunscreen when you're out snowboarding yeah so this is not just a summer topic right snow's coming put your right yeah hitting the slopes we got to be sunscreen yeah you got to be mindful of um your exposure and then in 1944 benjamin green was an airman and a pharmacist he used what was called red vet pet essentially it's petroleum um, for soldiers during World War II to protect themselves from UVA rays. Um, yeah, and that was mostly like airmen and stuff. You're up in the sky. Obviously, you're closer to those UV rays, so you're, and UVA can go through that glass, so um, mm-hmm. something that you were at a high risk for. So time goes on, 1940s, they mix that with cocoa butter and coconut oil, and voila, copper tone comes around. Um, in the 1970s, they started introducing sunscreens with UVA and UVB, Um, Prior to that, there was a lot of emphasis on just preventing burns, but then they realized, oh, there's a part of this that also just causes oxidative stress on our bodies and can accelerate aging and wrinkles, which I'm sure everyone knows a lot about because that gets all the hype. (laughs) Um, And then in the 70s, the FDA was like, okay, hold on, hold on. You guys are getting really excited about this. We need to regulate this a little bit. So they started coming out with guidelines. Um, Most of them never took effect Um, mostly just because they didn't really know they were recommended as grace generally recommended as safe and effective um, but they didn't have a lot of data today you know um, there's still not a lot it's kind of sad to think that the last 30 years for the FDA have really stalled on this and I'd like to give the FDA credit though they have really pushed um, people in our industries in our um, cosmetic industries in America to study this the big distinction here is the FDA is a drug regulatory, mm-hmm. you know, legislative body. This is hugely used in the cosmetic industry. So skincare, you know, all of those different things. Um, basically, a lot of people in the cosmetic industry don't want to pay for these studies and this data. So um, like people are buying it anyways. Why would I care? <laughs> yeah. And the FDA is like, okay, well, you know, somebody's got to pay for it. So the FDA came around and was like, okay, very recently in like 2019, they were like, fine, we'll go ahead and test it. And I'll get to that towards the end. Um, but yeah, for the last 30 years, Congress has just kind of been like scratching their head and 
interactions with the FDA and they're like, what's going on? We look all over the world and all these other people have all these other things available to them to the protect, to protect them from the sun. And here we are, you know, our archaic late eighties methods that were just Mm -hmm. kind of squandering. So drawing it back from there, I don't even, I didn't even really, when I was getting into this, understand UVA, UVB, UVC, there's a C in there, by the way, don't forget him. Um, all it is is lengths of light. Like UVA is super long. It can go like, like I said before, it can reach through your window. That's the one responsible a for aging, giving me the spots on the side of my face, mm-hmm. on the driver's side window. Yeah, those wrinkles, <laughs> all those things that wrinkles. Everybody, Chelsea, I know. Don't gosh. tell everybody about my wrinkles. God forbid um, that we wrinkle everyone. It's inevitable. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a big one. It can have an impact, obviously, on cancers. And this one, UVA, has just very recently been given like a lot of attention we're like whoa we've been focused on uvb let's pop in and say Mm -hmm. hey to uva and uh, work on that too but uvb is the one that's more more well known for burns i guess and skin cancer affiliations so it's a shorter wavelength than uva um but that's kind of what it does and then uvc isn't something that really affects us because it's up in the ozone layer well for now you know if there's a big (laughs) gaping hole maybe it'll reach its hand down and grab us as well tbd yes but for now, that's kind of where we're at. So this energy from the sun reaches, it arrives as solar radiation. It comes in visible light, ultraviolet light, infrared, radio waves, x-rays, and gamma rays, which I was like, what? But the big one we talk about is UV. So um, that's pretty much it with UVA, UVB, UVC. When we talk about sunscreens, we're talking about mostly, you know, primitively speaking, it was mostly, I believe, the UVAs, or excuse me, the UVBs. Um, and then time went around and they were like, whoa, there's different types of light. What about UVAs? We should be screening all of those. Um, and they decided, okay, let's start coming up with ways that we can protect our bodies from both. So as I was reading about this, I came across lots of debate. This is a hot, hot topic mm-hmm. when it comes to sunscreen in America versus sunscreen in Europe. Um, people are mad. Well, I've heard like the beauty industry in general in Europe is bans a lot more things than we ban they're usually ahead of us on the curve well it's not necessarily that they ban it it's that they have more flexibility and more data so they just know more and they're actively doing more than we are where we're over here and we're just kind of like oh like i mean the fda is more just kind of like i feel like they're kind of scared to move forward with this because there's not data and the EU is like has funneled a lot of money into this Mm -hmm. Um, but I was that's kind of what I thought too and then I was really surprised to learn um, I I found a bunch of articles on this but um, the EWG estimated that most sunscreens environmental working group yes thank you environmental (laughs) working group estimated that most sunscreens sold in the U.S. would be too weak for the European market because they don't filter UVA rays so the European market's really caught up in this UVA world they're like whoa we need to be able to protect ourselves from these rays too. So over the last several years, they've come up with lots and lots of options for products. Um, I think they have, let's see, the study of lab tests of a lot of sunscreens tested in America did not meet EU standards, um, but 94% of them, it was only 35% in America would have passed in the EU, mm-hmm. uh, but 94% would have passed US standards. So Because of how effectively they work so a lot of different reasons basically the fda lacks flexibility um and they approved recently 1996 they approved eight sun filtering chemicals um 
and they basically were like, this is what we're going to go with. Cool. This is what we have. The EU said, okay, we'll do the same. And then they were like, years later, when all these different calls were coming to Congress, where people were like, hey, like we found these new ingredients and these things that might work better. The FDA was like, cool, show us the, di- the data in America. And they were like, oh, well, well, we don't have it, but look what they're doing in Europe. They're like, no, 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 you need to do it here with your product. So Europe, we're like, hey, EU, look at all these things that we've in the lab decided can help protect us. Can you help fund this? And can we get this pushed through? And they were like, yeah. So the FDA has basically received a lot of backlash for being super rigid when it comes Mm -hmm. to sunscreen. So they kind of stalled this whole process. And then everybody was like, whatever, you do you. We'll keep using what you told us to use. Well, then cosmetic industries and things, the whole clean movement came about and FDA started getting a lot of pressure and they were like, well, we're not going to pay for it. We told you guys this years ago that you needed to give us data if you wanted us to approve all these new chemicals. We're not going to do it without data. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody wanted to pay for it. So it was very recently that the FDA just decided to start funding it. So it's not necessarily that anybody is safer or better. Anybody has more or less than somebody else. It's more just like, you know, the whole big process that stops you from doing things. It's that. Um, And we're kind of stuck in it here in America. Um, So basically, the EU regulates those sunscreens as cosmetics, which allows for more flexibility um, in which active ingredient manufacturers can use to protect against, to protect against UVA rays. So they just have more flexibility. The EU has 34 UV filters approved for use in sunscreens, and we only have 16 okay. in America. So, um, you know, I mean, we're trying. We know it's out there. We know that there's things that are better that we could use. It's just a matter of, I guess, people not really supporting the archaic methods we have of SPF. And then, you know, somebody going out there and being like, hey, let's push this through. You know, let's let's spend our money on something that we know could really help us. Um, and I at first was like, ah, whatever, you know, what what's the big deal? We have our 16. Cool. They have more. Um, but they the only two FDA approved ingredients that actually offer a strong protection against UVA rays are zinc oxide and avobenzone. And avobenzone is not stable. It requires other chemicals to stabilize itself. So mm-hmm. it's not super reliable. And zinc, oh, they have a hard time with like shelf stability. So yeah. it's not super practical to use. Yeah. And even just like metabolic stability too. Like it has to have something combined with it in order to block UVA rays. Oh, okay. Other things can stand alone, like zinc oxide, which is kind of the star of the show here, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's what I, I always use. Yeah. And it, everybody's like, oh, it just works. Just use it. But a lot, it's not, I guess, as, you know, sexy as all these other things that they're throwing in there that they're like, oh. I mean, you've seen me with sunscreen on. Sometimes they're, <laughs> uh, you look like a Casper the Friendly Ghost, depending yeah. on the brand. Some are better at rubbing in than others. Mm-hmm. But I have looked... A bit frightening at times with my sunscreen on. I'll never forget the first time we went to the beach together. It was years ago. I was an embarrassment, I imagine. It was it was the best <laughs> thing I've ever seen. I was like, put more on, Jess. You keep going, girl. I'm here for this. Um, so, yeah, basically, they just, I don't know. I, I hope our American market can catch up. Um, it kind of seems like they want to. And like I said, in 2021, they proposed a new sunscreen order. Um, and basically the only two active ingredients in 2021 allowed in us sunscreens, um, that were considered safe and effective were considered zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, but okay. we still, they still couldn't remove all the other ones, obviously generally regarded as safe and effective, um, because we don't have anything to replace it with. So, mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're going to use zinc or titanium, I mean, you're kind of out of luck unless you want to go back to, you know, olive oil and petroleum jelly and, and whatnot clay um so anyway uh 
moral of that story is we're kind of behind uh, shocker. It's fine. We're doing our best. So <laughs> the EWG is working hard. They're writing letters. They're doing the best that they can. Um, a big no-no that I've seen is oxybenzone. Is um, that the one that's in like bad for the reefs? Yes. The re- the re- is it, is it reefs or it has to be, it's not reefs. I, it's reefs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give it a sound. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, basically that's the big one, but I have a list here of the six questionable common chemicals. I do believe there's a couple missing from this list, but generally speaking is popular in America. Mm-hmm. These are the big ones. So oxybenzone, um, avobenzone, which requires something else to stabilize it, which we just talked about. I'm going to butcher these. So stay patient. Um, homosalate, um, octinoxate, octocrylene, and octisalate. Okay. That rolls off the tongue. Yeah. That's our stabilizer. Every single one of these is a hormone disruptor. Okay. And this is what you think of when you think of like your traditional chemical block sunscreen. Yes. Yes. So these are the ones going on your skin, rubbing into your skin. It doesn't, it has like a little glitter to it. Mm, That's Um, my favorite one. I know which one you're talking about. smells amazing. I look shimmery. Heavy fragrance. Used a lot of that one. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, I don't need a tan. I already look great. But yeah. Bad. Okay. So um, <laughs> after a single application of sunscreen, blood concentrations of oxybenzone are more than 180 times the FDA's level of concern, which is 0.5 ng per, in- per milliliter. Um, the oxybenzone level soars more than 500 times the FDA's threshold after four days of use as recommended by a sunscreen's label. Um, this was an article that I found um, basically just talking about how problematic all these ingredients are, why they're still out there, and why it's such a concern and an urgent need for us to hop on this EU train with all these other things that we could be using. Um, I feel sad that this is true, that this is the number. I mean, it's found in our blood. It's found in like all these places that it shouldn't be. Even the study says um, oxybenzone may affect female breast development, infant birth weight, adolescent male sperm function, things like that. So huge hormone disruptor. You, I mean, you think about mm-hmm. all the things that impact that. Um, Thank God I didn't reapply as instructed. Uh, you know, don't reapply. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically really, really scary stuff. Um, these are all the bad things that, you know, sunscreen can do to us. But the sun well, and these are also those like specific chemicals not blocking some rays of sun in general. Yeah. It's like those chemicals can do that. Yeah, right. And so, but and even these chemicals, like I feel like the reason we're using them is because we're being fear-mongered into, hey, the sun's bad for you. You have to put this on. And they're not really offering a ton of alternatives. And there's so much out there. Like how do you even digest all of this? Mm-hmm. Um, this has been days and days and days of me reading about nothing <laughs> but the sun and SPF. And I still have a very loose understanding of what I want to do moving forward. Um, but yeah, so SPF, it's a battle. We'll talk more at the end about what I think I should do. You can give me your opinion too. But the sun in general, we're being told is bad. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, cover up, put a hat on, wear a shirt, cu- put pants on, put sunscreen on anything that's showing, and do not stay in the sun. Um, I think a big thing with this is our cosmetic industry, right? Like the skin. Oh, it mm-hmm. ages you. Yeah. Oh, yes. Our fear of becoming old and wrinkly. Yeah. I mean, 
terrifying to a lot, which is sad because it shouldn't. I mean, it's gonna embrace it. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna wrinkle man. Let's let's bring it on. Um, it can cause the sun. I'm talking about all the bad things that the sun can do. It can cause suppression of immune cells in the skin, which can leave room for free radical damage. Um, it can also, this is what the sun can do to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it can suppress your immune system and there are certain cells within your skin barrier that that impacts, but we're getting there. It has, like I was mentioning before, another method to counteract that. Um, so yes, there's, there's a lot of stuff it can do. Of course it can suppress your immune system within your cells, leaving your skin's, um, your skin, I guess, available for free radical damage. Um, it can prematurely age your skin. That comes up like six times in this, in these articles that I've read. Um, it can increase your rates of skin cancer, um, as a side effect of prolonged UV exposure. Apparently UV exposure can increase the risk of potentially blinding eye diseases if protection is not used. Oh, like cataracts. Yeah. Like like all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. Um, and then overexposure can lead to basically they just keep talking about cancer, serious health issues mm-hmm. like cancer. Um, skin cancer is the most common cancer in the United States. Um, the two most common types are basal cell and then squamous cell. They typically form on the head, face, neck, hands, and arms because I guess they're the most exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then m- the cases of melanoma, melanoma, which is the deadliest kind of skin cancer, is also caused by UV exposure. Um, so really scary. Um, basically this increase, if you are out in the sun a lot, it increases your risk. If you have light color skin, hair, and eyes, it increases your risk. Basically, if you take We're any, doomed. Yeah. <laughs> and if you take oral topical medications such as, oh, listen for this, antibiotics, birth control pills, um, benzoyl peroxide products and certain cosmetics can also increase your skin and eye sensitivity, even certain mm-hmm. foods that you eat. I talked to you about this. I, this shocked me the other day. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, um, reading an article that was talking about like, um, excess consumption of certain like beta carotenes and other phytochemicals in your fruits and vegetables. If you drink a certain amount of celery juice or like a certain amount of carrot juice, things and, I will never do. Right. And then you go <laughs> in the sun, you're more at risk for photosensitivity, which puts you at a higher likeliness for burns and you're you know, at a higher increased risk for skin cancer. And I was like, okay, well, I believe like retinase and stuff do too. So speaking of trying to like fight aging and then you make yourself more photosensitive. So then yeah. you can burn. I mean, yeah, there's so many things you can do that could make you burn even easier. Yeah. And I think, we hear that and we're like, okay, I'm terrified. I'm never going to go out in the sun. Um, and if you're over the age of 50 and your family has a history of skin cancer, you are also at an increased risk, but there's so much we don't know. I mean, there's the, there's that little box I think about when I was in graduate school, my professor taught us, she was like, what I know, I know. So the box broken into four, four pieces. What I know, I know, what I know, I don't know what I don't know, I know. And then what I don't know, I don't know. I'm down here. That's probably the biggest box at all times, if I, we're being honest. There's so much I don't know that I don't mm-hmm. know that's out there that is just knowledge. I don't even know how to find it because I don't know it exists. And I think that's what's happening with this kind of thing. All of us are feeling super overwhelmed, and we're kind of hearing these whisperings about the sun, and we're like, I just, I don't know. I'm going to put this on, this sunscreen, and I'm going to go and have a beach day and do my best. And I don't know. It is what it is. So with all of that said – Now I'm going to talk about why the sun is good because I love the sun. And I have to tell you after reading all of this, I think I found more evidence pro-sun than anti-sun. 
Um, but it's it's in fewer and smaller places, but it's really, really strong. I mean, okay. out of all the negatives I found for sun exposure, it was like burns, cancer, aging. I'm like, okay. All the good stuff, I mean, wow, it's huge. Studies in the past decade indicate that insufficient sun exposure may be responsible for 340,000 deaths in the United States and 480,000 deaths in Europe a year. Um, decreased um, sun exposure has an increase, is correlated with an increased incidence of breast cancer, colorectal cancer, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndromes, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, autism, asthma, type 1 diabetes, and myopia. Um, For a really long time, vitamin D has been considered the principal mediator for beneficial effects of sun exposure, but oral vitamin D supplementation has not convincingly shown to prevent any of the above conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, There is some sort of synthesization that happens with the sun. I don't fully understand, but that that I gathered with UVB rays in our skin that provides us with vitamin D. And that process itself has not been able to be replicated in supplements I don't even know if it could be I mm-hmm. mean science is pretty incredible so maybe someday um but basically this evidence indicates that it would be wise for people living outside of the tropics I mean if you're at the mm-hmm. equator this is a different story right but for everyone else listening you should in- expose your skin sufficiently to the sun Um, and then just like take care to minimize the harms of excessive sun exposure. Like, let's be wise about this, right? Let's not go out only from 10 to two every single day with nothing on our skin and, you know, fry. Let's be aware of what it is we're doing and why. I also found really interesting, um, that whole base tan theory. Mm -hmm. It's kind of real. Like build, do tell, do tell. Yeah. Building a sun callus. So (laughs) that's what, that's what everybody kept calling it, but If you start with a very small amount of exposure to the sun, five to 30 minutes a day outside of the 10 to two window. So I'm talking eight to 9 a.m. in the morning in the Mm -hmm. summer, um, maybe nine to 10 a.m. in the morning in the winter. If you start around that time for five to 30 minutes of sun exposure, um, three to five times a week, gradually the melanin in your skin will increase um, you'll become more tan. You'll, your body will develop more natural mechanisms to protect itself from the sun, and you can gradually increase your exposure. I couldn't find any studies to, just to suggest how far I could increase my exposure. Could I get up to an hour? Could I get mm-hmm. up to two hours? I don't know. I think you have to be the best judge of your skin and your body. Um, but I found universally that was accepted five to 30 minutes of exposed okay, skin on, on both sides of the sunscreen aisle. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, they were like, if the time and where you're located in the world geographically is really, really important. Um, and then just being wise about it. So after that, um, you know, and avoiding those really intense, hot UV days, um, in the middle of the day, um, I, the big thing though, that this does for us by allowing ourselves to get at least that little bit of sunshine every single day or every other day or whatever you're comfortable with. Um, it does so much for our health too. Like, I mean, we know what vitamin D does. We've heard this time and again. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, uh, vitamin D can be associated with an, um, with a decreased risk of cardiovascular diseases. Um, it can lower a lot of, uh, 
a lot of cardiovascular um, blood pressure issues that people can be having. It's like really associated with that. And it's also associated with just calmer moods too. There's something that it does for our hormone regulation. Mm -hmm. Um, The sun has a huge part in the regulation of our hormones for our sleep, for our well-being, um, our mental health, all of those things. So that's a whole nother thing I I couldn't even dive into. (laughs) Um, So all of that said, what would we do? Right. Yeah. What's the recommendation? I, I'm thinking after all of this that I'm going to, I'm going to watch my window. I want to get in the sun five minutes to 30 minutes every day. Personally, I think it's awesome without sunscreen on. Mm -hmm. Granted, I'm still like, I still have this syndrome in my head where I have to wear SPF on my face every day because that's what the beauty industry has told us. (laughs) So I'm a victim to that and I haven't broken away from that yet, but Everything else, I'm like, I think five to 30 minutes a day is really good for you between that, um, outside of that, you know, major window, 10 to 2. Um, and then just basically being wise about the days when we are in the sun. Putting my SPF on if I know I'm going to be out in the sun longer than a certain amount of time. Going under the shade, wearing um, sun protective clothing if it's been an excess amount of time and I don't want to burn. Um, and then basically just being wise about the sunscreens we do pick. I'm not putting oxybenzone on my body. I'm definitely yeah. not going to get in the ocean with it um, after we've seen everything it does to Yeah, as much life. as I love my aforementioned glittery, yeah. wonderful smelling sunscreen, <laughs> I do try and do just like the zinc now. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I've always probably erred towards not wearing sunscreen as much as they say mainly because mm-hmm. I don't like putting on sunscreen oh, yeah. um but like doing hats and knowing knowing your my peak burn areas or times mm-hmm. of day or activity um I'm not ready to give up sunscreen yet I I know I've been hearing a lot of this like oh you don't need it it's just all yeah. but like I'm like ah, I don't know I'm pretty pale like <laughs> you haven't convinced me yet completely everyone to give up sunscreen but I I think the mindset of trying to get some unfiltered sun exposure makes sense to me. Yeah, definitely. And works for my lack of desire to put on sunscreen. Yeah, and I think (laughs) you're right. Like, I think, like, zinc oxide, yes, it gives you that white cast. Big bummer. Although I found some that really aren't that bad. So you just have to, like, find a brand that works for you. Yeah, titanium dioxide was the other one that I saw was Mm -hmm. generally recommended across the board by everyone. Um, and th- that apparently doesn't give you as much of a white cast. So if you do have a darker skin tone or you just generally don't want to look spooky on the beach, um, you could also look for that too. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm the same as you. What do you think about um, the spray sunscreens? I feel like I'm inhaling toxic fumes. Okay. So I'm not a big fan. Although I will say like, so most of them are in those like metal canisters that come out like mm-hmm. very aerosolized. There was, I had to buy some emergency sunscreen a couple weeks back <laughs> oh gosh. and it was in like, um, like more like a, like, a, oh my gosh, like a squirt bottle for the only thing I can think of that I like detangler spray is in it oh, when you buy okay. it. Like, so, so you like, like a liquid almost. Yeah. You just like squirts out sunscreen, sunscreen basically, mm-hmm. but it is like a squirt thing. So I like that for doing like my sun oh. sunscreen cause it's a little easier to control than just like giant globs. Yeah. Um, well, that actually makes sense. So it's spreading it out a little bit more, but it's not. And I read a ton about the spray sunscreens and the inhalation. It's like a huge no-no. I don't know how they think you're supposed to use it without inhaling yeah. it. I mean, it makes me want to choke when people do it around me. So I'm not a fan. Also, I mean, it's easier. So I like that factor. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you blow through it so quickly. Yeah. 
And I always felt it wasn't as effective. Well, how much of it's actually getting on you? I mean, that's probably why. (laughs) You're standing there and you're spraying someone and I'm like, I don't think any of that has touched their back. Like, I mean, it's kind of crazy. And the amount of sunscreen that you actually have to wear in order for it to be effective is kind of crazy. I mean, it's like way more. Than I'm sure I've never worn oh. the amount they actually recommend. Like you're supposed to put like a shot glass of sunscreen over the course of your whole body. And I'm like, I think about that like a legitimate shot glass. And I'm like, uh, mm, maybe, maybe I use that much. But I'm also a smaller human, you know, like what about these taller people like was that a double shot that's a lot of sunscreen that's like <laughs> half a bottle you know like god forbid you're tall well, so you're supposed to use it all I think in a season too because it oh, yeah. expires I mean I use well I've, this is not a recommendation but I've certainly used some <laughs> None very of this is a recommendation some very expired sunscreen <laughs> I have also used expired sunscreen and I'm like I don't know like, I'm I not mean, gonna throw it out it's fine yeah, yeah it's fine <laughs> I, none of this is a recommendation let me this let is me just you know that. we're spitballing we're talking about yeah. you know our thoughts. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And I'm on the same page as you. I think I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm not ready to throw out my sunscreen. I would love to try more natural sunscreens. I am definitely going to be so much more aware of steering clear of those chemicals that we mm-hmm. talked about. Um, and I found a couple articles that gave a few brands. Um, okay, I'm curious because I haven't found one that I love. Yeah, the Consumer Report consumers report oh consumer reports the magazine yeah there you go um they gave two recommendations that scored really well in their testing and they're found on like walgreens and target so that's kind of nice um accessible one was actually walgreens hydrating lotion spf 50 a walgreens brand mm -hmm. okay minimal ingredients and then hawaiian tropic sunscreen Wait, Hawaiian Tropic? That's yeah. the glittery one that smells good. Well, I don't think the glitter is a part of it. But <laughs> Hawaiian Tropic has a brand of sunscreens, and it basically says their um, Radiance SPF 50. And I would like to point out that that's a glitter one. I swear the Radiance one is the glitter. We need to check Look this. Look it up. Because if my glittery, I mean, it has to be loaded with fragrance. I was going right? to say, yeah, there's like other things in that that might not be good. Well, is this, it, that one's not zinc, though, or did they make a new one? This is what the Consumer Report said. I am not sure. But that's what they reported. And then here's some safe sunscreen brands that were also reported through dermatologist approval. Um, La Roche-Posay Melt-In Milk, which is an SPF 50. Pipette Baby Mineral Sunscreen. I've used that one. Mm -hmm. And then Kula Mineral Sun Silk um, SPF 30. Pretty much all the pipette stuff is uh, Environmental Working Group certified. Okay. So that's why I picked that. I use like their uh, baby wash and some a lot of their lotions and stuff I've used. So throughout all of this reading, I found that baby sunscreen is like a go-to. Like if you're an adult, we should probably be wearing baby sunscreen. It Like they, all of these other chemicals we talked about, the FDA does not recommend you putting them on your children, which is why we have different sunscreen for adults mm-hmm. and infants. And it's just safer it's cleaner they don't put as much in it it's very basic and it has a high level of protection so I think that's great to hear you've used that specific brand I never have I felt like so I used it on myself when I was pregnant and I've felt like I burnt but I they I think Mm -hmm. you can get more photosensitive when you're pregnant so I don't want to say it was the sunscreen I think it was more like I wasn't out in the sun as much and I was more, I was seemed weirdly sensitive to the sun at that time. So yeah. I like kind of stopped using it because I was like, oh, am I burning more 
because of this sunscreen mm. or but I should tr- I'll have to give it another try because I like all their other products a lot yeah. so I should give it another try um yeah there's so many factors I feel like that can affect whether you burn or not yeah um, I would also like to say I didn't really talk about this through this but be aware of your SPF SPF 15 is the sweet spot. I mean, that's going to block, I think it was like 93% of the rays that you're being exposed to. Um, You could go up to 30. I think it it bumps you up to 97% protection. Um, But anything above that is so minuscule, the amount that it actually protects you from. So don't get this false sense of security. Don't bump yourself up to SPF 100 and be like, I'm never going to burn. I, <laughs> I don't reapply. I'm good all day. It's it, That's not true. Um, I mean, sweat's a factor. Swimming. I mean, you should be reapplying every 40 to, you know, 40, they say between 40 minutes if you're swimming and 80 minutes. And then if you're just generally outside every two hours. Um, but yeah, SPF 15, I feel like is the sweet spot. You're welcome to bump yourself up higher than that. If you ever find like an SPF 50 that you're like, oh, I love, I mean, it's going to give you quote unquote 0.1 more, you know, percent of protection. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think 15 generally also is accepted across the board as like the sweet spot. So, um, yeah, I mean, when, I guess I got to go out now and do some homework, look at some SPFs because I don't have anything clean. It's bad. I looked at my sunscreen mm-hmm. when I was doing this, and I was like, I imposter syndrome is so real right now. My cabinet is going in the trash tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it's like the things I have in there, I'm like, oh. And this was the first summer I didn't really wear a lot of sunscreen. Mm-hmm. Um, getting off of birth control pills earlier in the year, um, and then also generally like reducing my ultra-processed diet over the last year and a half. I was like, okay, let's see how my skin does in more natural state mm-hmm. I did not burn this summer which actually I think as an adult was one of the first summers I did not burn again there's no evidence to suggest that has anything to do with <laughs> seed oils or processed foods or um you know anything granted birth control can make you more photosensitive but I was just more aware you know I didn't I didn't bake myself this summer and I think that's something you know the tanning days of all of us roasty toasting ourselves I think they need to go out the window but also let's not go so extreme that we never see the light of day again so let's not become mole people I don't think I don't yeah think no I'm I don't cool think we need that. to be mole people for sure I think if yeah. anything we've taken away that there you that would cause more more bad yeah than anything yeah um but yeah looking in your cabinet and kind of seeing what you're slathering on yourself is probably a good call mm-hmm. that's my homework <laughs> <laughs> So all of this, I feel like, segues pretty well into my curiosity corner Mm -hmm. for today because it's also about, you know, things we slather on our skin. So I've been doing a lot of thinking about, you know, how we pick our, you know, beauty products, personal care products, and how to try and be an educated consumer with that because I feel like this is a really difficult area to navigate because there doesn't seem to be a ton of regulation on what is allowed to go in these products. Uh, There's a lot of claims that don't always seem to be backed up about whether it's green or natural or what does that even mean. Um, And the ingredient lists are usually confusing at best. (laughs) Yeah. Putting it lightly. (laughs) Yeah. So like what I found is certainly not foolproof and I'm still looking for ways to feel more confident in the products that I'm choosing. But Mm -hmm. I found uh, a site that I like. And that's usually my starting point. So Credo, C-R-E-D-O. It's kind of like a... I think they actually are partnered with 
Ulta or one of those things. But it's like an Ulta, Sephora kind of type thing. Hmm. Um, but it's all targeted towards like green beauty um, or clean beauty or whatever, you know, catch phrase you want to use for it. I don't like using any of those terms because I feel like they're thrown around yeah. way too easily. But they have like their own dirty list, they call it. Um, where they have over 2,700 chemicals that they either prohibit or restrict um, due to wow. safety or sustainability concerns. They do they work with companies that do a lot of um, like product safety testing. Um, they're they're also pretty intense about what they require for like labeling and claims and their their big pushes towards fragrance transparency because hmm. on all, a lot of things you can just say fragrance, natural fragrance like yeah. and they actually require them to break it down like what is actually the fragrance in this product and they're focused on sustainability as well so I like all of that okay so I think they're a cool company and then so I usually kind of start looking around there I've gotten a number of products from them that I'm actually a really big fan of because that's the other like I feel um kind of not caveat but like when you're when you're looking at like green clean products it's (laughs) sometimes efficacy is lacking So I like that everything or most everything I've tried from them, I have been super happy with its actual performance as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been exciting because I've tried a number of like green things throughout the years, both in like beauty and cleaning supplies that certainly uh, fell short. (laughs) So I've, I've been happy with their stuff. So I start there and then what I'll do after I find a product I'm interested on their website, I go to the environmental working group. Um, has something called the Skin Deep Cosmetics Database. And a surprising number of products are listed in there. Not everything, but most everything I've tried to search in there, I can pull up. And you can search for an ingredient, brand, or product, and you put it in, and they have, um, like, a rating on it. So let me try and think of something I can put in here. I've never even heard of this before, and that's really funny because I'm very into – quote unquote clean products and beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really glad you found this because a lot of these brands, I just went to the site for the first time where you're talking about this and a lot of these brands I've already heard of and I love. Mm-hmm. So what a cool way to, you know, find other brands that are within this space that kind of have that same safety. Yeah. I think it's a good starting factor. point to like make it <clears throat> a little less overwhelming to try and find a new product. Yeah. And then uh, when I go on the environmental working group, Uh, site and put in a product they'll give it a score Mm -hmm. and then they break that down into how they came up with a score you know it's based on the individual ingredients the strength of the data available on those individual ingredients they'll tell you what the concerns are with them and I think that's pretty cool and you can also search for environmental working group uh, verified products Mm -hmm. so actually I like just got on here to look at the the rating screen and they now have some sunscreens that are environmental working group verified. So Ooh, okay. uh, we'll have to delve into that and try and pick a new one to try and get back to you guys on what we're loving. But anyway, so I start there. I do the Credo, the environmental working group verified. I'll also do that sometimes at the store when I'm trying to pick cleaning products. I've switched away from buying most of my cleaning products and I'm making a lot of my own, but they're, you know, like um, laundry detergent and stuff I'll still buy. And, um, I'll, like if I'm thinking about getting a product, I'll kind of pop it in there and see what data comes up or how it ranks to something I'm already using. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's not foolproof. It's not perfect. But I think that these are other 
tools we can use when we're trying to make an educated decision. Yeah. Um, and so like today, the, the product I was buying was toothpaste. So I've been using hydroxy appetite toothpaste for, I think like, f- it's probably been like five years now and I'm all aboard that train. I'm like, was that one of the first things you were like, let me clean this up? No. No? I've been I'm like so behind. Yeah. I've been dabbling in this world for, for quite a while. Ugh. I think I started mainly with cleaning. I think cleaning supplies is where I, I dabbled first, but, um, no, I, uh, we're, <laughs> what was I talking about? We're filming at night and <laughs> night, <laughs> night is not my peak time. You guys, toothpaste. Um, yeah, we were talking about to- toothpaste. So I love my hydroxy appetite toothpaste. It was originally like Boco was advertised to me. It was, mm-hmm. I think the first company or one of the, at least one of the first big companies that was pushing it, uh, B-O-K-A. And they do like a subscription for, they have like floss and toothpaste and toothbrush, toothbrush heads, all that stuff. So I ha- I saw them advertised on Instagram to me like five years ago. <laughs> and when I started looking into hydroxy appetite, I thought it was super interesting. Like there is actual scientific studies that support efficacy of hydroxy appetite being as good, if not better in some cases than fluoride mm-hmm. without the toxicity concerns of fluoride like you can swallow this toothpaste and you're fine like and it actually like works better apparently when it sits on your teeth so it's what I use with my son too because he he loves brushing his teeth and but like I'm not freaked out when he's swallowing all the toothpaste yeah so um so I really like it and I had a, a lot of like sensitivity and the dentist was like use sensitive toothpaste and it wasn't doing anything for me, but once I switched to the hydroxy appetite toothpaste, mm-hmm. my sensitivity completely resolved. Have not had issues in years. Wow. It's pretty awesome. Well, you've already sold me. I mean, yeah. I cannot believe I still have fluoride upstairs right now. I'm like, what am I doing? And it's funny because there's all these other things. I haven't used, I haven't purchased cleaning supplies in a very long time. That's kind of where I started. Mm-hmm. But like, I think about, I'm putting this in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love it. I what think it I works doing? great. I think the data is great. <laughs> My dentist out in LA was actually familiar with it too. Cause I'd seen other dentists and they were like blank stares when I told them what I was using. Um, and before that I had been using like some of the natural toothpaste that were just like fluoride free, but then there's, you know, questions about if that's actually helping to keep your, you know, your teeth up to par. Right. So, um, but yeah, my dentist in LA was familiar with it. She was super supportive of it too. So I thought that was cool. And then the only reason I was looking, I was looking for a new brand today, but not, I still love Boca. I have nothing but good things to say about it. Uh, I just found out recently that they have a, a warning on it about uh, possible like cross-contamination with nuts. Apparently they mm. process like peanuts and tree nuts in their facility mm. and I have a nut allergy. So I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they changed something or if I've just been getting lucky because I'm on a subscription service, so I haven't been going on their website checking. Yeah. I'm like, it's toothpaste. I'm not worried. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll try something different. So I ordered, uh, what was it, David's uh, Hydroxy Appetite Toothpaste. Mm. So haven't tried it yet. I'll have to get back to you guys on how it compares. Um, but Super Pro Hydroxy Appetite Toothpaste, Super Pro, Credo, and the Environmental Working Group Skin Deep Database. Would highly recommend all these resources. Wow. Okay. I just opened like six tabs on my browser. This is great. Okay. You're buying, you buying toothpaste right now? Um, yeah, I definitely buying toothpaste. That's happening. Um, I already have EWG up. I was like, can't wait to look through Credo. Um, it's gonna be great. So uh, 
for me, I do not have nearly as much curiosity as you this week because I've been <laughs> so quote unquote absorbed by the sun. Um, but something I got into this week that I've heard so much about that is a long loved classic is castor oil. Um, my coworker actually really started talking to me about it. I was having um, some inflammation um, around my time of the month and things like that. And then also um, some other like digestive issues going on. And she was like, oh, I, I use castor oil. I was like, what do you mean you use castor oil? Like I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I know nothing like, about this. Yeah, <laughs> literally know nothing about castor oil. And so I did a little bit of light reading on it. Didn't really, I mean, I, there's that we could do an entire episode on castor oil, but, um, basically it's been used for like hundreds of thousands of years. Um, it's a known natural laxative. Um, it's something, it has like anti-inflammatory properties to it. Um, it's used for all kinds of different things. So what I was told to start with castor oil is to do a quote unquote hot pack. Um, it's where you like put the oil on a pack or on your body in like a thick layer put heat against it and it like increases the rate of absorption and you just do that on wherever so for me I was doing it like on my stomach at night mm-hmm. um did it work I, so I, I call me woo woo that first night was a little crazy some things were going crazy in my stomach I was like I had to have eaten something weird because no way this was caused by an oil right that's oh, like no. bizarre Your skin's to me. a big organ I don't it know. absorbs things I mean I didn't ingest <laughs> the oil I was like I literally <laughs> just put it on my stomach but some things were weird and I was using it because I, I felt really, really bloated and inflamed. And I felt great. I don't know. It, and also, it just, like, softened my skin. Like, I put it on my hands and things. I was reading it can be used for scars, mm-hmm. um, like, hyperpigmentation. It can help with just, like, general moisturization. And I'm really trying to stay away from those heavy chemical lotions and stuff. So just having something else I could supplement for moisture was really, really nice. But yeah. I really liked it. I don't feel like I'll use it all the time and I definitely definitely need to read more about you know what studies have been done on the efficacy of Mm -hmm. castor oil if that's even a thing that they've ever done I'm sure I feel like it's been around so long they have to have you know you think I I would hope um but yeah I I don't know I I really enjoyed it but I agree it's been around so long and so hopefully there's something out there that can be like yes you're not crazy um this works with xyz so Anyway, starting on my castor oil journey and now apparently also my fluoride-free journeys too. Oh, it's life-changing. You. You're going to love uh, it. I can't wait. I, I have very sensitive teeth. and I have, Oh, you won't anymore. I have for years. Well, I mean, that was my lived experience. <laughs> I mean, I, if that got rid of my tooth sensitivity, I would be absolutely thrilled. Oh, mine was like so bad. It would be like if it was cold out and I like breathed dead, like it yeah. would like make my gums like, Whoa. yeah, no, no more. Okay. So uh, we'll check back in with you guys. I'm definitely going to go buy some toothpaste tonight and, um, you know, maybe do a castor oil hot pack and we'll <laughs> see how it goes. Just be woo-woo. <laughs> I love All right. it. So that is wrapping it up for us tonight. So now we're going to take it over to Chelsea and she's going to tell us um, how you can reach out to us and where you can find us. Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank everyone for tuning in. We truly appreciate your support and feedback. We encourage you to reach out with any suggestions for future topics, with questions, or requests for clarifications. If you're enjoying the podcast, give us a rate and a review. If you're not enjoying it, give us your feedback, but maybe skip the review. Give us a follow on Instagram at the hand that feeds us, or send us an email at handthatfeedsus at gmail.com. And keep tuning in. You can listen to us wherever you find your podcasts.